We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. We just heard from two different parables that Jesus gave in Luke 15. And actually, they're two-thirds of the story. So we heard a story about the lost sheep. We heard a story about the lost coin. And then Jesus goes on to tell another story about the lost sons. You may have heard of it before as the prodigal son, right? The parable of the prodigal son might sound a lot more familiar to you. That word prodigal, it just means someone spends something lavishly, like extravagant spending without care or concern for what's being spent. So if you know the story, then that kind of makes sense with the younger brother. But how many sons are in this story that Jesus tells, if you've heard it before? Go ahead and just say it out loud. There's two of them, right? Yeah. And guess what? The story's not even really about either of those two sons, right? And in the parables we just heard, was the story about the coin? No, it was about the woman who went searching for the coin, right? Was, was the story really about the sheep? Or, or the shepherd who went searching for that lost sheep and carried it back on his shoulders, right? So there's going to be some similarities that come in this third story told as well, but there's also going to be some interesting differences. Because what Jesus is doing by setting up three stories in a row is he's trying to take three little snapshots of something that they would have understood to give a fuller picture. Uh, this is called, if you go into someone's house and you see three canvases side by side by side, each with a little part of the picture, but they make up a bigger picture together. That's something called a triptych. You don't need to know that. It's not going to be on the test. Uh, but a triptych, it's three images side by side by side that make up one bigger image. And so let me show you an example. I have a picture here. There's my son, Cannon, on your left. So that's one third of the picture. And then another side of that is my son, Jonas, on the other side there. Now, if I just had those two pictures hanging in my house, you would be like, who is that in between them, right? Well, there's something missing there. And so depending on what we fill that in with, you could tell a bunch of different stories. Like maybe this was the time that they were attacked and mauled by a bear. Someone had fun with Photoshop this week. Or maybe it was a time where they were rescued by the Mandalorian. Or perhaps it was a time where they met up with the legendary Shang-Chi and saved the world, right? Or maybe it was just the time they went camping with their dad. I don't know. I'll leave it up to you. Really, who can tell, right? No one really knows. Uh, but depending, yeah. Thanks, Patrick. I mean, it looks pretty similar. <laughs> There's not a big difference there. Depending on what you fill that in with, it's going to tell the story much differently. And so this third parable Jesus tells is the bigger one. He, he goes into more detail, more length, there's more depth to it, and it fills out that story a little bit more. Because you could just hear those first two, and maybe you get what Jesus is talking about, but maybe you're like, I, why is he talking about sheep and coins? I'm not so sure, right? And so continue with me. I'm going to read from Luke 15 as well. And as we continue, we're in verse 11, and I'll read through the end of the chapter here. He also said, that's Jesus, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate I have coming to me. So the father distributed the assets to them. 
And not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am, dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry. and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look. I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Son, said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Father, we pray that through this story Jesus told, the people standing directly in front of him thousands of years ago, Spirit, that you would be sharing that same message with us this morning, that we would hear and receive your words. God, that we would have ears to understand, eyes to see, and that we would be transformed by you. In the power of your spirit, the glory of the Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So at about nine years old, I woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of my dad's voice on the phone with the police, startled. I, I crept up out of bed. I knew I wasn't supposed to get out of bed. I could get in some trouble. But it sounded so alarming, I had to find out what was going on, so I walked out to see my dad sitting there at his desk on the phone looking distraught. He looked up and saw me, and he asked me, Chris, did you see your brother Michael at all? I was like, yeah, I saw him before bedtime, but you haven't seen him since. No. What's going on? What had happened is they got a letter that my brother ran away in the middle of the night. And so they're on the phone with the police. They're calling all of his friends' houses that they 
they knew of, that they could think of. The next morning, all I know is we still had to go to school, the rest of us. So we were packing our lunches, and all of the snack packs were gone. That was, I want you to get, like, that's the most important part of this story. We had snack packs for days in that house. There were six kids in that house. Enough snack packs to last us for two weeks' lunches, and they were all gone. So we were a little, a little perturbed. We, we got ready. We went to school. We came home from school, and there was my oldest brother in the front yard playing. My parents out front as well, and one of his friends there. He had gone, and he had just slept at a friend's house that night. So he was safe. Everything was fine. And so we got there, and we're like, hey, where did you go? And he told us a story. He had gotten grounded before, and, and he thought life was unfair, so he ran away. He wasn't grounded anymore. He was playing in the front yard. So our next question inevitably was, did you bring the snack packs back? And he goes, you guys, I didn't know when my next meal was going to come. I had to learn how to survive out there on these streets. You were here at home with all this food. I, I had to take them. I was like, bro, it's been 12 hours. You slept at a friend's. Where are the snack packs at? He ate them all. He squandered all of the snack packs with his wild living out on those streets at his friend's house. It was gone. So, when I read this story, I'm like, yeah, I, I can relate to that older brother, even though it was my older brother who was doing the crazy living in that story. We have the story of two brothers. One of them does this outrageous thing. He's not just running away because he got grounded, life's unfair. He's not just running away because he's like, man, I, I can't take it in my father's household anymore. No, he actually goes to his dad and he says, hey, I want what you have, but I don't want to be near you. See, in that culture, there would have been an inheritance that would first be given to the oldest son. The oldest son would get twice as much as what the next sons would get. Everything else would be divided evenly. But that wouldn't happen until the father passed away. The youngest son, who doesn't even have a right to claim that inheritance, went to the father and said, I can't wait any longer for you to die. Just give me what's coming to me now. And what that would have required was for the dad to liquidate his assets. They would have had land. That's part of the inheritance. He would have had to sell everything to divvy it up between his children. And in that culture, the father would have had every right at this point to shun that son, to kick him out. You are not part of this family anymore. We have no part in you. Get out of here. Not only that, it would have been in his legal right to actually beat this young son. But what does he do? He responds to his request, right? He sells everything, and he divides his assets out. He divides everything he has out to his sons. What does that mean? The oldest son had to have also gotten his share too, right? The oldest son would have gotten what was coming to him too. And we hear that at the end of the story. Son, everything I have is yours. Like he's already liquidated all of his stuff to give to him. So he got it too. He stays, and he keeps working, while the younger son leaves. He goes off, and it says, that word kid squandered, it means he just blows it all, right? Like, if you've ever had money in your pocket, 
you're like, I can't wait to get some Takis with this, right? And you just spend all your money right away. You don't save it. That's what he did. He went out and he blew all of his money. He's so irresponsible. And you hear the story and you go, man, this youngest son, he had what was coming to him, right? Except there's a part of the story I think we often overlook. There's some other factors at play here. Let me just read it to make sure we get it right here. When he goes and he spends everything he had in verse 14, it also says, then a severe famine struck that country. Not only that, it says in verse 15 that he was feeding the pigs. Verse 16, he wanted to eat the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. There's an important aspect to consider here that, yes, that youngest son, the younger brother, messed up big time. And he, he did something so entirely selfish and irresponsible, and he sinned against his father and his brother and against God. But we are not only sinners who sin against people. We are also recipients of sin. We are sinned against ourselves. And you see a multifaceted picture of sin in this story. Jesus is a masterful storyteller. He is clearly laying out how this youngest son has messed up. But he's also reminding his hearers that he's in a broken world. Now he's in a land where nobody will give him anything. Not even pig's food. Now when you hear the, the, the pods that the pigs would eat, that's what it says. He longed to eat the pods that the pigs were eating from. What this most likely was, was carob pods from a carob tree. So there's these little like, looking things that are growing in a pod and they would fall down. So when they would fall out of the trees, they would all gather around that tree, right? All these dried up old pods and that's what the farmers would allow the pigs to go eat from. There's actually a good source of protein there. Uh, there's some energy because it's sweet. There's some like, carbs in there. So it's good for the pigs but not really so much for humans. And what it's saying is he longed to just get down there with the pigs and eat off the ground with them. And pigs are like the most filthy, unclean animals to this culture. Jewish people were told they could not eat pig, but also if they touched pig, they would be unclean themselves, and they had to go ritually and ceremoniously clean themselves before they would be seen as clean by other people, especially before going to the temple. And he wanted to get down there with them and just eat what they were slopping up. And those pods that were falling off of a tree, they had already dried off and fallen off of the tree. The owner of that land saw that it was too valuable to give to this man because he needed it for his pigs. So no one would do anything for him, and he lives in a famine where there's not enough food. There's a curse on the land. There's sin affecting the land. And there's sin between human beings. Then, of course, there's his own responsibility, too. And I think we, we need to kind of take this into account and remember this, even still as we are living in the same broken world. Because it's easy for us to see somebody in need and think if they would just get a job, right? Or if they had just made these choices. And listen, there's absolutely truth to that, too. We see that in the younger brother. And yet also, we're in a broken, fallen world, too. Also, there are things that are just wrong about the world we live in. 
droughts and famines, people born with diseases or mental illnesses, physical defects that make it difficult to work, right? And then there are just people who will not give. All of that's at play here. We can't talk about one and neglect the other. This is a mess. And all why this is going on, we have the older brother, in the back of our minds, still hanging out at home. And we know, once we get to the end of the story, what he's been doing this whole time. He's been working. He's been working the fields. He's been tending to the flock. He's been doing what his dad has asked him to do. Pat on the back for older brother, right? But who ends up in the party at the end of the story? And who ends up staying outside mad? We got to ask the question, why? What happened here? The older brother's doing all the right things on the outside. He's checking all the boxes. But what you find at the end, by the way that he responds to the grace given to his younger brother, and by the way that he responds angrily to his own father, what you find is he was never doing things for his father. He was doing them for himself the whole time. That if I would just keep working here, my, my dad's not dead yet. He's going to continue to accrue more assets. If I just keep working here, what's he going to give me? If he gave that brother of mine all of this now when he didn't deserve it, he didn't earn it, and he's gone, what am I going to get at the end of this? And so he is also acting selfishly, trying to just work for himself to get what he wants out of life. He has the same desires that his younger brother has, but they're playing them out in two different ways. Tim Keller talks about this, that there are really three ways to live. If we were to put this together as a triptych, I didn't make a graphic for that. I ran out of my Photoshop hours this week. But if we were to put that together, you'd see on one side the religious person who says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I, I, I do all the right things, so God owes me now. He, he will bless me because I have been good. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. That's the religious way of living. Then there's the irreligious person. They just live however they want to. I accept myself, and I live how I want to live, right? That's the younger brother who goes out and just loses it all. And both of them end up nothing. Until one of them comes back to the Father. There's a third way, that middle image there of the triptych. There's a third way of living, the gospel. This is not a religion where you try to do all the right things and then maybe God will love you and accept you. Maybe he'll welcome you back in. If we hear in the story, that's what the younger son starts to even think. If I go back to my father with this speech and I say, hey, listen, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned before you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me a servant and I'll work for it, right? Maybe I can earn my way back. How many of us are trying to earn our way back into God's graces? What do we find in this story? Before he even finishes his speech that he rehearsed, before he even gets up to the house, his dad 
hikes up his robe. This is a dignified person wearing a robe, and you don't do that in this culture. And he runs. You don't run if you're a dignified person. He runs after his son. Here's some context we need to know from this story that we could miss here because we're in 2021 in Phoenix, Arizona, right? We don't know the culture as well. But if we study the culture, we know there would have been somebody who should have gone after that younger son. See, if if you shared, like, what are some similarities in the first two parables? There was somebody who went searching, right? Someone went to find that lost sheep. Someone went to find that lost coin. In this story, nobody goes. The son has to come back. But as soon as the father sees him, he, he hikes up his robe and he runs after him. The father's heart was searching for the son the whole time. But it would have been in that culture, it would have been the oldest son's job. That's why he gets twice the inheritance. Because his duty is to carry on the family business. His duty is to carry on the family name. And if there was shame brought to that family, it would have been on the oldest son to go and make it right. If someone was missing from that family, it would have been on the oldest son. While the father stayed and took care of things, the oldest son would have been the one to go out and find him. But what does he do? He stays to work for his own gain. Jesus is telling all three of these stories to religious leaders who are challenging him because Jesus himself is eating and hanging out with who they thought were sinners. He's going, listen, it's your job to go after them. It's your job to bring your younger brother back into the family, to welcome them back to the table, and no one's going out and seeking them. So what does Jesus do? He becomes the true and better older brother. Being one with God the Father himself, sent down to come after the lost. He's the one searching, seeking, Till he finds. Jesus would have been the better older brother in this story who left everything to go after him. But it doesn't happen in this story. Jesus is, he's indicting his listeners. He's challenging them. He's saying, where, where were you? Yeah, I'm eating with them. Why aren't you? You're the older brother who's staying outside of the party. Sulking throwing a fit because you don't think they deserve to be here, but you're removing yourself from it. Come back in. The offer from the father is the same to the older brother as it is to the younger. Just come in and celebrate. It's all yours. Everything I have is yours. I have freely given it to you already. I, I liquidated all I had so I could give it to you. Come in and celebrate with us. Feast with us. Sit down at the table with us. It was the same offer to the younger brother. I don't need your speech. I don't need your work. I just want you home. Let's go celebrate. One brother comes into the house. The other one stays out. And the story just kind of ends there. I almost wish we had a fourth image to put up there so we get a conclusion, right? But it just ends there. Cliffhanger. Jesus drops it right there. What does the older brother do? Does he eventually work his way back in after he throws a little fit? Or does he stay outside? 
Does he move on with what he has now? Go live his own life? Does he stay continuing to work for the Father, thinking he's going to build something for himself? What does he do? And we don't know, because the question Jesus is offering to his listeners is, what are you going to do? Are you going to come in and dine with us? Will you come into the feast and sit down with me and share all that I have because I've given it all for you? So that's the same question that he's offering to us right now. What do we do? And listen, when you're invited to come in and feast, when you're invited to come to the table, when you're invited to share in all that the Father has in his house because we have a good older brother who came and found us, that he calls us to take up that same role. We now share in that inheritance, and we share in that mission of representing the Father's house and of going out to find the lost and inviting them back into. Let's not be like the older brother. Somehow we've made it, we've arrived, we've done the right things, but not them, right? God is inviting his children in. The difference is, choice you will make. Will you come in or will you stay outside? We're going to go and have a meal together after this. And the reason we started doing this once a month, I know every week we take communion, we usually have those little pieces of bread and juice, but... The reason we started making it an actual meal, a feast, once a month, is because that's the thing that Jesus invites us to. It's a celebration. It's a reminder, first and foremost, that he had to spend everything he had, liquidate himself, to give a great cost in order to welcome us in. But it's also a reminder of the final feast that we will have one day, that Jesus is calling us into. That when when he restores all things, and there is no more famine in the land, there is no more brokenness on this earth, there is no more sin against one another, that there will be a great big celebration feast with Jesus at the head of the table. And we'll get to sit around it like a family. So this is a small little symbol of that, where we go to the table now, as a family, as brothers and sisters, and we share a meal together. We look forward to that day. But in the meantime, we challenge one another to invite others in. Amen?